Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I showed all of this and I said, we bought this property. We went away. We made $30,000 and we actually, it's costing us nothing to hold. Let's do it again. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property manager and the founder of NextGen Property Management, Chris Dimitropoulos. We delve into his motivation for getting into real estate, his journey from Greece to Australia and his relationship with his parents. We hear about his amazing aha moments and much, much more. We learn a little bit more about what a typical day might look like for someone as busy as Dimitropoulos. I do quite a few things. I've been uh, lucky, uh, been, and you know, the real estate journey has um, allowed me to um, do a few things. So I spend a bit of time with a not-for-profit, um, some of my time. So um, we're looking after disabled people, um, and um, I get a lot of my experiences through. Um, real estate and property, um, and it's helping them um, in their journey uh, in the NDIS. Um, so I spent quite a lot of time with them, um, and I've also uh, spent quite a lot of time with my business, as I was saying before. Um, and I'm the licensee in charge of the business, so I'm responsible for uh, all aspects of it. Um, I uh, spend a lot of time on social media. I'm quite um, active on um, on the Facebook group that we've got as an admin, uh, which is all about property. So. Um, there's never enough hours in a day, I would say. I wish there's more time and um, a lot of it revolves around property and real estate in one way, shape or form. Dimitropoulos shares with us what the non-profit organization that he works for does to help people with special needs. They're in the disability sector. Um, they've got group homes um, and that's the connection with property. Um, so, um, I've got... Um, I've got a, before I got into property management, I was a, um, I was in IT and I was a project manager. So um, I, um, when I was looking for a career change, um, I did two things. One is um, I um, started my own business and the other thing is at the same time, um, I started helping uh, this not-for-profit organization, which is looking after uh, people living in group homes, basically. So um, a lot of the, a lot of the things, um, uh, to do with property related to them. Uh, they've got tenants, which are people that, that, that stay there, um, and hence the connection. We learn about the relation between his work with NDIS and whether that relates back to the properties that he works with. It's completely separate, but the, the managing a tenant and managing a person with a disability, say they live in one of the group homes, um, is very similar. So properties need to be looked after, um, and a lot of the logistics uh, are, are very similar. So. Um, that's a that's an industry that's moving and it's evolving, and it's in its infancy infancy. But um, it's I've got no doubt the 
um, the worlds of the residential tenancies and the NDIS tenancies um, are sort of um, coming together and a lot of similarities. Dimitropoulos talks to us about his background and what it was like for him growing up. I was born here in Sydney. Um, when I was three years old, my parents decided um, that they were Greek immigrants basically and they decided they had it made. They sold everything and they went to Greece. Um, and um, I lived there for, fi- for the fi- first 15 years of my life. And as soon as I turned 18, I couldn't wait to come back. Um, so I've been back since I'm 18. I've been back now for about um, 25 to 30 years. Um, um, and I guess um, a lot of my love for real estate has come from that because my parents uh, were some of the first off the circle to buy a property in Alexandria and here in Sydney. They kept their body for something like £7,000 or something like that at the time. And after about five years, it had grown to £15,000. And that's in the 70s we're talking about now. And they sold it. They thought it was, they had it made and it was great. Uh, they went overseas and never bought a house. Uh, so I grew up basically as a tenant. And um, I've always wanted, this is something that always bothered me. Uh, all my friends had their own houses and, and I didn't. So I came back and one of the first, and my parents came back straight after me. And one of the first things that I did was as soon as I finished university and got a job six months later, um, I helped my parents buy um, a house, uh, an, an, an apartment. Um, and and that was, you know, in three names. Uh, and I stayed there until it was sold basically. So, um, so this is safety, you know, it's always something that bothered me. So I wanted to get into real estate. So, um, so we bought that and my parents, you know, are still staying there and they're forever grateful they've got a home. But, um, that's one of the, um, early uh, influences in my life to go into real estate. We get to find out what it was like for Dimitropoulos growing up in Greece and what staying there was like for him. I was always a, a serial studier, so um, I was always it was always drilled into me that I had to go to university. So as a um, just typical kid going to primary school and high school in Greece, and um, I was a, I was an okay student, um, I was, you know, top top ten percent. Um, uh, but you know, same as most boys, I would say, you know, more interested in sport. So I was, uh, I was a basketball player. I loved my basketball and I was preferring basketball over study most of the time, I guess. But um, but um, going into university in Greece is very difficult because places are so limited. So I um, I needed to come back. Um, I had I was like an equivalent of a 90% an ATA in strength terms, but I couldn't get into university there, but I put here. Um, so just as, you know, the... A month after I turned 18, I packed up my bags. My, my parents put me on a plane and, uh, and I arrived in Sydney. And um, and I have to say, I arrived in Sydney with about $400 in my pocket because, uh, you know, my dad was a, um, you know, a taxi driver in Greece, not, never had a lot of money. So um, I arrived with about, he gave me $400 and put me on a plane and I came here uh, spent some time with uh, and, and stayed with um, you know, an uncle of mine uh, until they arrived as well. So that's that's how that's how my story starts um, in Australia. I was 18. Um, um, I, I went straight to university. Um, very little money, um, but a lot of dreams, I guess, as people have about uh, going to university. And I always wanted to study IT. I was uh, I was obsessed with IT at the time, so I thought that was the way of the future. And um, I think that proved to be a good decision, actually. Coming to Australia with only a little bit of money 
we find out about the types of jobs he had whilst he was studying at university. I've always worked, uh, even when I was living in Greece and always here, I've always had the summer job or the weekend job. Um, I work, I've worked anything you can imagine. I used to, I used to drive a, a truck delivering jukeboxes uh, before the you know, digital uh, music came out. So that was a great idea that someone had uh, then, about 20 years ago. Um, jukeboxes to parties, that was the main job when I was at uni. So I'd work three all weekend and uh, just to drop off jukeboxes and pick them up in the end. So, uh, yeah, I've always... Um, I've always uh, been a hard worker, um, and um, just and um, you know driven to to work and um, and do as you know save and you know good good with money save and um, you know and just always try and do the right thing. I guess I delivered bread for a little while at night, so I could go to uni in the morning. So, but that didn't last too long because it's because <laughs> I kept falling asleep. I guess in the lecture in the morning. So um, I worked in a, a second-hand shop at Redfern. They were selling uh, furniture, so um, I'd, I'd work there as well. Um, odds and, you know, bits and pieces um, around if I helped. Um, someone had an idea to put coal, not to buy coal in bulk and put it into small bags and sell it out. I tried to do that as well. So lots of little things that are, you know, uh, anything, I guess, when you're at uni to uh, just make a little bit of money on the side. And and by that stage as well, my parents had arrived as well, so I didn't want to be a burden to them as well. I've got a brother and a sister, and uh, they're, they're younger than me. And, you know, my dad came back and started from uh, nothing again, so I really didn't want to be a burden on, on my parents, I guess. Uh, so I was trying to help as much as I could. With Dimitropoulos coming back and his parents not far behind him, he tells us about the reasons behind his parents deciding to leave to go back to Greece when he was young. I think the driving force was my mum. My mum always wanted to go back to, to be with family. And um, so she uh, persuaded my dad to pack up and go. Um, they would have been here about 10 years before they before they left. But my mum always wanted to go back and be with her family. And um, we went and rented a house in Greece about... 20 meters from where her brothers and sisters were there. So it's, there's a family, there's a strong family um, theme um, that I've been brought up with. Um, and I think that's quite quite important in my upbringing and um, quite important with, you know, everything I do, I do now, I think everything involves around family, but that started from my mum. Uh, mine knew, um, I should say, it made absolutely no financial decision because um, it's not that they... There were multi-millionaires to go and retire there. They're still in the 30s. And um, um, they, and they went back with no particular skills, um, you know. Um, and they, they went, um, actually, uh, they were very risk-averse as well. So uh, whatever money they, they got out of selling whatever they had here, they put it in a bank and then slowly disappeared without actually doing anything meaningful. They had opportunities to start a business. Um, they, they could have bought a, a property the first, you know, the first few years. They didn't, and then the money lost its value slowly as the years go by. And you know, um, 15, 20 years later, um, when I got to about eighteen, they didn't really have that much in the end. So it's just it's a few lessons there as well about um, for me about how averse, risk averse you can be, and um, how. Um, uh, cash basically isn't really worth a lot as, as time goes by so you got to put it somewhere 
leaving Australia when he was so young to go to Greece, then coming back at 18, we learned what the driving force was to come back to Australia. I, again, I didn't want to be a burden to my parents. So I was 18, there's not a lot of opportunities there. And that was before uh, before all the things happened in Greece as well, where, um, uh, you know, the, the economy tanked and there was no jobs whatsoever. That was even before that. But I didn't want to be a burden to my parents. Um, I always wanted to come back for as long as I can remember myself. So, um, so, and I wanted to go to university, which was going to be impossible to go to Greece, you know, to go to Greece and study IT. And it was a lot easier here. So I just using my marks, I came back, I translated them and I got a, um, I got, got accepted in the University of Wollongong to study an IT uh, diploma at the time. After he finished studying at university, we learned about his journey in the workforce and what type of company he worked in. I went and got a job straight away, I guess. I was at IBM and I was the happiest uh, person on earth. And um, I worked for about um, um, I worked for about six months. And, um, and um, within, within that, that six months, um, my parents got a – I was still renting at the time. And uh, my parents got a letter. We got a letter on the mail from a, from, from a fund. I think it was called Montgomery Fund, which was for people who um, – that couldn't afford to buy a property. And the fund, which was some, had something to do with St. George, allowed you to buy a percentage of a property. So we bought, we're allowed to, we had to buy 30% of a property, a three-bedroom apartment at Lakemba. That was where I was staying at the time. And, um, and the, the fund bought the 70%. And, and with the idea that we were like the owners, would pay, would take care of all the outgoings and all of that. We had to give the ten percent deposit of the thirty percent, and there was no stamp duty and all of that. And whenever we could buy, um, whenever we could buy the rest, we would buy the rest basically. So with um, with all those jobs, I had saved a bit of money, and I helped my dad put down the ten percent of. It was about thirty thousand. Uh, dollars then the property was worth about ninety five thousand it was valued at that um, we bought the thirty percent and we started living and that was our house and it was the best thing ever basically we had our own house with my brother and my sister and my parents and um, and th- and that was that was just as I was finishing university and then I finished university and about six months later I was working uh, I was working for IBM and um, they were offering loans and um, for people, that, you know, discounted loans. They had a, a deal with um, MLC, I think, at the time, and we bought the um, the other seventy uh, percent of the property. And that was that was the first property in three names, and it's still in three names: myself, my dad's, and my mum's. And I've got in my portfolio all those years later. Coming up after the break. We delve into Chris Dimitropoulos' journey and how he got started in property. I guess what happened is I got a job and I went to do my first tax return and uh, my accountant said to me at the time, uh, you know you can save some tax you know, if you buy a property. We learn about title insurance and how it can help you. It's called title insurance and it basically, it says that if at the time of purchasing a property that's on its own title, you're not aware of anything illegal, encroachments or anything else, then they'll cover you. And that's next. I'm Taran Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. (music) 
Dimitropoulos goes into more detail about the fund that allowed them to buy the first property and explains in more detail about how it worked. There was a fund that was called Montgomery Fund. It must have put a few million dollars aside and anybody that wanted to buy the first property wanted to buy a property and couldn't afford, I guess low income, which was my dad at the time, um, they, would, um, they, would up- they would apply for a grant and they could buy whatever percentage they wanted. So we chose about 30%, I think. Um, so we only had to borrow $30,000 and 10% of that was $3,000. We had to come up with a $5,000 deposit, I guess. Um, and the assumption was it was our house, we pay everything else, as I was saying before, and uh, you could buy the rest anytime you were ready. It must have been one of those weird things that uh, governments were doing from time to time. I think it would have been like a, a, a state government initiative. I was actually surprised that nobody ever knows about, about that, but uh, maybe worth looking it up. I think it's called Montgomery Fund. I remember going into St. George. It had something to do with the St. George Bank. You'd go into the St. George branch and uh, bank at St. Uh, Cogra and uh, you'll do the paperwork and everything else through there. The good thing as well is that the, the fund made some money as well because um, when I finished university six months later, I, I had another income basically. So I finished university, I got a job, I had another income and then we could apply for our own, for, for our own loan to buy the whole property. So we had to pay off the seven. We have to buy the seventy percent, and the seventy percent had dry, the property had gone from ninety-five thousand to one hundred and twenty thousand by then. So we had to buy, um, you know, the added value of the property as well. So they they made some money too. So um, so that was good for everyone, I guess. But um, yeah, that was a good idea, I thought, and I'm surprised I've never heard anything like that not come. We learned about what influenced him to actually take the next step to buy his first property. What happened is I got a job and I went to do my first tax return and uh, my accountant said to me at the time, uh, you know, you can save some tax, you know, if you buy a property. And I said, that's a great idea. I've always wanted to get my own property for, you know, later in life. So I might as well buy a property and save, you know, save a bit of tax at the end of the year. So if, uh, believe it or not, uh, my accountant, who I still have all these years later, uh, he's the one that asked me to, he got me to buy a property, but not for any other reason but to save some tax um, uh, and uh, no idea what I was doing. Not, for me, it, it was never about investing. It was more about you know uh, safety and saving a bit of tax to begin with. Um, so I bought, I bought the property, like you said, and then happy, you know, the next year I went to him and I told him I got the property, we did the numbers and I got a grand total of $2,000 tax return the second year of my job and I thought that was amazing. Um, and I thought it was amazing enough to, you know, buy another one uh, and save, you know, and then I got a $4,000 tax return. Um, and that's how I started my journey through my accountant. In fact, I would say my parents tried to actively discourage me from buying properties, I would say. As I was saying before, they were quite risk averse. Um, when I bought the first one, great celebrations, but the second one, they started uh, sort of, you know, telling me that I shouldn't be doing this and, you know, pay that off and whatever else. But um, I don't know, it wasn't Start, you know, decided not to listen too much and just get on and do what I want. The interesting thing is as well, it's not that it's not in all fairness to them, and I have to say I love them, um, the great support and everything else, and they always want the best for me. But it's not that they had made any sound financial decisions themselves to be given others financial decisions. Uh, so uh, that's that's the that's the thing, you know, about parents. You know, they're all protective and thinking about you know the kids from a different perspective. Dimitropoulos has been buying properties since the mid-90s and has 13 properties currently in his portfolio. 
we hear about what has been his worst investing moment throughout all these years. I can't say a lot of it was before um, before knowledge was out there and people were doing it on their own. Um, in and I'm not talking about you know 50 years ago. I'm talking even 10 or 10 or 15 years ago. There wasn't that much information out there, so I've made quite a lot of mistakes. I've made some mistakes. Um, for example, I bought an off-the-plan property in 2010. I mean, um, that made me waste. I wasted a couple of years on that. Um, the lowest moment, I have to say, though, there is a happy outcome. But the lowest moment was a few Christmases ago. It would have been three or four years ago. I bought um, a property in Melbourne. Uh, it's on its own, on its own title. Um, a great little property. Um, three days before Christmas, I go to open up my mail, um, a letter from a lawyer. Um, and, and I have to say that was right after we had done some renovations in my house here. And um, I was really low on my cash reserves and I'm always big on having lots of buffers. Um, but I was, it was like a kind of like a vulnerable moment. I open my mail and there's a letter from some lawyers in Melbourne saying that the property that I bought um, a couple of years before um, was encroaching on the, the the boundary with the property behind, um, and they were assessing uh, their options. Basically, that was, that's what the letter said, but it was very formal, formally written. And, you know, the letterhead was some very respectable lawyers from Melbourne. So, I um, I can't. I'm going to be honest and say I panicked. Um, I was very low on cash. All I could think was that you know uh, lawyers and and court appearances and you know tens of thousands of dollars uh, that I didn't have then, um, and um, and uh, I started questioning you know why do I bother with all of that and uh, stuff like that. Well, uh, two hours in when I started like you know calming down a little bit, I remembered that when I bought the property, I had also bought title insurance. So I was I've always been so you know you might think all oh, these properties you know. Uh, people might think that I'm crazy, but I'm quite risk averse in all of them, and there's always a, a method to my madness, I guess. But one of the things I really believe in is insurance, and you know, and I had bought title insurance for, I've bought title insurance um, for all the properties that um, um, that that are on their own title, not for apartments. But I've forgotten about it. It's one of these things that you you, you get another form, you know, when you, when you get the uh, the paperwork and you sign it, you pay whatever it is, and then off you go. I remember having done that. I went back and opened up all my files, and sure enough, it was there. I called them, and um, after after Christmas, they came back to me formally to say that I'm most likely um, I'm covered by the title insurance, and it's all good. So then I, I slept again. You know, uh, I have to say that Christmas I did not sleep for three or four days. I'd be the same thing as well. I'd be stressing and thinking, what do you do? Especially on Christmas as well too. That's not a very good time to be receiving a notice like that. The timing was, uh, was perfect, I think. But, um, but it was a good ending and it reinforced my, my views that just buy the insurances. It's tax deductible. Forget, forget it. Buy it and forget it and you never know. You're on, if you only need it once, then it's a good day. Uh, that's been my view and that, that event reinforced it. But it was a pretty low moment, pretty low moment, I have to say. You never know when things like title insurance might come in handy and Dimitropoulos explains how you get it. There's two or three organizations. Um, I don't remember the name of it but if you search it up, you'll find them. It's called Title Insurance and it basically 
it says that if at the time of purchasing a property that's on its own title, you're not aware of anything illegal, encroachments or anything else, then they'll cover you and every generation that comes after me, basically, that inherits the property from you. It, from memory, costs about $400 or $500. Uh, and that's it. It's, it's basically, it's for forever insurance. And, and um, I, then I looked into it and uh, I saw that they had... Um, they had uh, claims, done claims up to 100,000 and 150. And, you know, they've got their own lawyers and all sorts of things. So uh, myself going against the big firm in Melbourne is not the same as them going against uh, against them in the end. And, and th- I should say as well, I never heard from, um, I never heard from um, those lawyers again. And I waited every day to see if they're going to come back to me. And not that I was worried because I knew I'd have the backing of, uh, of the uh, insurer, but um, um, uh, never heard from them again. And I think, and I think, um, and this is important. I think if anybody listens to this, because in Melbourne there's a there's a 15 year rule that says if you uh, if an encroachment happened 15 uh, less than 15 years you're covered, but anything before 15 years basically it's null. It doesn't count. Um, so when I looked into it, it might have been bordering 15 years or 15 or or maybe 16 or 17 they had built the house that I bought. So um, it wouldn't have counted anyway. But um, um, so if anybody has a similar experience, I'd say don't panic, uh, look into it. Sometimes lawyers send you letters to scare you and see if you can panic and jump into a remediation and basically, you know, negotiate and give them some money and they move away. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, they've got a grounds to proceed with a, with a litigation basically. Throughout his many, many years of experience in his property journey, we learn about the moments when he came to the realization that he was on the right path. There's two aha moments for me, uh, if I could share. One was um, I was I bought. Uh, I was saying before I bought a couple of properties to save tax, and I was getting those nice tax returns. Um, then, um, um, then we bought a house to live in, and um, I had had a couple of little kids, and they needed a backyard. So for six, for six. For five or six years, nothing happened. Then, about 2010, I had saved my my sixty thousand dollars deposit, and I was ready to go again. Uh, and I convinced my wife, who was always skeptical about about this, to that it's okay to buy another one. So, I bought um, this uh, one bedroom property at Cogra, right next to the hospitals there, and um, we bought it at about April or May. Um, and then we it settled and was rented already. Um, we went to we went away for our first uh, trip in a, in a while. We hadn't gone anywhere. Went to Hawaii for about four weeks, and uh, in about September, I went back to uh, the real estate agent uh, that was managing, and I said, uh, um, "How's it going?" And all that, and he said, "Ah, oh, you'd be pleased to know that you know you bought it for um, I think it was three hundred thirty-five thousand. Then it's gone up to three hundred seventy now. It was and that the year was like two thousand and ten. So I said, "Oh, that's fantastic." So I went away. We spent about fifteen thousand um, away, and then in that time, I actually made thirty thousand dollars. So hold on, there might be something else to property than just saving tax here. So I came back home and I opened a spreadsheet and I said, "I'm curious to see how much that property is costing me." So I opened up a spreadsheet and I put in my rent and all the outgoings. I even calculated my depreciation and everything else, and it was pretty. It was rented uh, for about three hundred and seventy dollars a week. So. It was immediately, immediately positive and positively geared, and I didn't even know. So when I saw at the bottom that I was actually making $500 a year once I had my tax return, um, I thought, oh, my God, what's going on here? So 
the first thing I did, I asked my wife, I called my wife, I said, Andrew, come here, let's have a look. Have a look at this. So I showed all of this and I said, we bought this property, we went away, we made $30,000 and we actually, it's costing us nothing to hold. Let's do it again. And she looked at the numbers for about a minute and then she said, okay, let's do it again. And that was the first moment that my wife actually came on the journey with me and she actually, and both of us saw it in a different light. So um, that's, that was my first aha moment. Um, and, of course, what did I do? I went and bought another one about two months later. Um, the second aha moment was um, when I had to go to Melbourne. Um, um, and mind you, up to that point, I hadn't used any mortgage brokers. I hadn't um, used any buyer's agents or anything like that. Um, when I went to Melbourne, I had no choice but to use a buyer's agent. Uh, and... Um, Buying the property on your own, on my own, um, was quite hard. I have to go to opens and compete with others and put in bids and all sorts of things. So it wasn't easy. It was time consuming. But when I went to Melbourne, I had to buy, I had to use a buyer's agent, and um, and I used one, and I realised that everything is done for you. I don't, you don't have to do anything. You pay a bit of money, but at the end of the day, I was ecstatic with the property. I didn't have to do anything, and I realised that maybe. Um, using others is the secret here. So, um, and that's what I did. So, these are the two aha moments. One is there's more to investing than um, saving tax, and the other one was use others because you get better property and you don't have to lift a finger, basically. So, inspired by Chris Dimitropoulos' journey and his amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss his motivation. I've always wanted to have uh, safety from 60 onwards, um, 65, when I retire, when I have a good life then and, and, um, and, and then also help my kids as well. The personal habits which have been contributing to his success. If you work hard enough, I think um, it, it'll come to you. I don't think it, I don't think it has to do with uh, you know some amazing gifts or whatever. It's just, just stick to the fundamentals and work hard, and it will happen for you. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.